welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. And a very warm welcome to the next episode of Property Portfolio Podcast and my co-host Nigel Green. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Mark. Not too bad at all. How's yourself? You okay? Yeah, we're all good. All good. And we're all lined up for a fascinating session on procurement. Mm. Something Mm. that strikes the fear into some people. But actually, if you follow the systems and the processes and embrace the professional team around you, we, we we can distill a few myths here, can't we, and debunk a few along the way? I, I, I believe so, Mark. You know, and it, procurement, is, again, it's just a methodology. It's understanding that process. It's, you know, it's, it's wrapping people around you that are doing it every day of the week and have done it for many, many years and just following the process. And, and by following the process, the upside um, is definitely, you know, protection. Um, you know, the, the biggest, the, one of the biggest things that we've seen over the years, Mark, is where contracts haven't been executed in the right way. And that generally creates the problems, doesn't it? And that's both in terms of program financially and otherwise. So, so to contract in the, in the most appropriate way, um, you know, following the methodology that's been kind of ground into industry for many years, using those professionals is the way to de-risk projects for sure. Definitely, definitely. So let's maybe just start by just having a, a quick think um, amongst all of our listeners as to what what are you trying to procure? So in a property development, what types of things are we looking to procure and, and what are the real biggies? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think if you if you start right at the beginning, you know, there's there's a number of procurements. I mean, we're going to be procuring services, aren't we? We're going to be procuring services of a, our professional team, you know, and it's engaging them in the right way. I mean, ultimately, we're looking for them to protect us in moving forward through the contract uh, for sure. But, you know, let's get those guys, um, you know, connected up in the right way. And, you know, we know and use very uh, very frequently the professional services agreement don't we so you know that kind of just sets out the uh, the services to be be provided it enables the the recipient to fully understand what the obligations are that they've got to got to provide and and therefore enables them to accurately you know price a fee proposal so you know that's that's probably right at the beginning you know in terms of that procurement process and then, of course, they're now the other side of the fence. They're in your camp now. And, uh, you know, moving forward into what is the tendering and construction phase, Mark, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the, that's the big ticket items, really, isn't it? Although, although as you say, the uh, professional, professional team, and that can amount to on large uh, contracts, you know, it can be high five figures, six figures um, for, for all of those services. Um, yeah. And quite rightly so, quite rightly so. Um, but getting should we should we focus predominantly on the on the main contractor on the, the the tendering for the build? I think that's probably the the biggest area of focus that strikes fear into to many. Yeah. How do I find a builder? 
Absolutely. You know, and, and I think, you, you know, again, the supply chain, that's where they come in. You know, if you're, if you're going to lean heavily on, let's say, a quantity surveyor, you know, to support you in, in driving the process forward in conjunction with a project manager, you know, to drive that forward. I mean, the, these individuals, these disciplines have had many years in industry. They've, they've seen the, the good, the bad and the ugly, I suppose, from a contracting point of view. And, you know, I'm sure can bring suggestions in terms of, um, you, you know, a potential tender list, you know, to the party, a party that parties that they've used previously that have performed well or outstandingly, they can bring those to the party. So straight away, you get an advantage. If you, if you don't have those experiences, you, you're kind of just, you know, you're, you're relying very heavily on, you know, kind of the, the e version of yellow pages, which isn't really the way to go, is it, Mark? You know, and, um, you know, so I think, I think seat, you know, seat recommendations in terms of that, um, that tender list, um, you know, from, uh, from your professional team, from friends, acquaintances, you know, what, whatever it may be. But I think, I think also allow your professional team to, to write formally to them and just, um, just invite them, you know, to the project and, uh, seek, uh, seek their interest, understand whether they are committed to the tender process and so on and so forth. And, and I think also send them a, a, what we used to term a supply chain questionnaire. So this is just a, an information grab of those individuals, those companies, you know, this questionnaire might include, well, would definitely include things like company details, you know, references, maybe they could offer up, um, you know, company accounts, uh, that they could offer. It's all public information. So just, just provide it, um, maybe insurances, you know, levels of cover, those, those, those sort of aspects, you know, renewal dates are important as well, because, you know, you want to be mindful of when insurances are expiring and just to make sure that they've, they have actually adequately renewed. You know, I think previous and current projects, um, is always good information to have on this questionnaire, um, workload capacity, those sort of things, you know, because, you know, we've seen, we've seen too many times, Mark, haven't we, where, you know, great companies can become troublesome companies because of overwhelm and overwork, you know? Um, so it's just understanding that, you know, how they're growing year on year, if they're kind of over-trading in terms of they've just leaped, you know, very aggressively into, from one year to the next in terms of turnover. And, and I think, you know, the company personnel structure as well, I think that's, you know, good to, good to have, um, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a real critical one, isn't it? How once you've assessed how how is the company structured? Is it robust? Is it solid? You know, what is their modus operandi? How do they operate on a day to day basis? Do they have all their own in house resources? Do they subcontract certain packages? Do yeah. they are they in effect a, a construction management company and they outsource every single package? Um, all of them have their risks and their merits, um, but you just want to know, don't you? You do. You do. And, you, you know, your, your professional team, again, once upon receipt of this information, have then got a further task to do. They, they need to do some due diligence on your behalf, or you need to do some due diligence on your own behalf. And you can you know, things like credit checks, um, you know, check out the website, Google, even Facebook, just understand what maybe the principles 
are doing, you know, out there just to get a, a feeling and a profile of these individuals. Um, you know, certainly have business to business meetings if you can, um, you know, to meet the individuals, be it video call or, or in person, you know, those sort of things. And then, you know, if satisfied, and this is kind of a scoring process. You know, we, we've seen scoring, haven't we, of the tender list and it being presented to us. And you can see the positives, the negatives, and then in the balance, you know, where people rank from top of the tree to bottom of the tree, let's say. And so, that, that, yeah. That entire pre-qualification process, no, no, no contractor wins the deal at that stage, but they can lose the deal at that stage. That's absolutely, absolutely for sure. Um, yeah. Health, health and safety and quality would be uh, a couple of good examples of wanting to understand how the company structures it, how they manage it. Do they have in-house resource and personnel? Do they outsource it to professional practices yeah. that you know, bolt on services to the side of them or a combination of the two maybe? Indeed, indeed. Well, I think you know once you've selected your tender list, then you're into the tender process, which Again, it's it's really you know firmly understanding who is going to the be the administrator of that contract, and it could be, it could be you, it could be your architect, it could be your quantity surveyor, it could be your project, but it's understanding who has got <clears throat> the you know the experience, the qualifications to be able to support the administration of that process. Um, that's number one, I think. Uh, number two is. It's creating that tender pack. Now, the, I think this is really crucial. Um, the more detailed you can be, um, arguably the less holes there will be in terms of a, a pricing structure coming back. So, um, you know, a tender pack would include things like, let's say, just the covering letter. It would have a letter in there, you know. The, the letter would would cover things like, let's say, a brief description of the project and maybe the key milestones. It would include, you know, um, the pack of the contents of, of you know, that, that's being presented, who to contact in terms of any questions or queries that may arise from the, um, from the tender documentation. And very importantly, the tender submission day. So on what day, it could be even at what hour, you know, they need to submit their, their tenders into, um, you know, at the end of this process. Um, I think the, the pack itself would... Sorry, sorry. I'm just going to tell you a bit of a story about that. I used to work in Chicago uh, many years ago, about 30 years ago, um, and the company I was working for, we had a, uh, a huge tender that, uh, that we were putting in. It was around about, around about 60 to 70 million uh, US dollars, and uh, it was a, a public tender and the process... And there was, you know, don't think the MD could go and present the uh, the, the, the tender submission. No, the process was there was a letterbox on a public building, side of a public building, walked in the front door uh, and put the letter, put, put the submission through. So it could only be, you know, one and a half inches thick, you know, you were confined there. Uh, and the shutter came down at, at midday, absolutely at midday. And uh, and I was the one having all this, you know, a thousand man hours of, of effort. I was the one who had to go and put the <laughs> drop it through the letterbox uh, uh, by by midday, and uh, and I duly did with a few minutes to spare. That was all fine. And two contractors turned up at one minute past, and they could not post their submission. Really, they closed the letterbox. They literally closed the letterbox. 
<laughs> listed by literally a minute um, but yeah. they were not able to submit. So, I mean, that's public tenders, but uh, yeah. yeah. And it didn't give me any pleasure or satisfaction. I felt really sorry for the guys, to be honest. That would be a long trip <laughs> back to the office, wouldn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, if, if a date and a time is defined, you know, people should, there's plenty of time to get to that point, isn't there? So they should respect it. Um, yeah, so I, I think, again, we're going back to this pack, um, you know, I think the the detailed design drawings uh, are or the drawings are important and specification. Now, it depends which route you're going down, whether you're going down a detailed design route or a design and build route. So if it's a detailed design route, then clearly the, the drawings will be to a level of, const- you know, you can start to construct on the basis of them. Um, whereas a, a design and build approach would m- more be associated with... Um, you know, the, um, the employee's requirements, you know, setting out what the employer wants and then for the, the contractor to then interpret that and then do an element of design in-house, if you like, to produce that, you know, that tender. I think the contract directory is important as well. So for for that counterparty to understand um, who's going to be in the team, you know, employer, project manager, quantity surveyor, architects, et cetera, you know, just a list of people that are going to be involved. Um, a copy of the contract should be in the pack because people, when they're pricing for, you know, the projects, they need to understand what they're being contracted against. They need to understand the level of, let's say, the nasty stuff, which is the liquidated and acetate damages there, the LADs, um, all these sort of aspects, you know, the contract terms in which they're, you know, the payment terms, all those sort of, they need to consider it as part of the pricing exercise. It's no good them pricing and then all of a sudden you say, oh, and by the way, you're being contracted on this, you know, because the price may probably go up. <laughs> so it's, you know, you need we need to put all this information in there. And, um, you know, depending what contract it is, JCT, I think we use quite a lot, Mark, at the moment, don't we? Certainly in our, um, you know, the development world, the banks tend to like the JCT form, which is a joint contracts tribunal contract. Um, there are other contracts, the NEC. NEC is, is a new engineering contract, which is more associated with infrastructure. Um, but again, that's one that we've used historically. And there's, there's a number of others, uh, the PCSA, which is a pre-construction services agreement, and the, P, um, the PSA, which is the professional services agreement. So that might be the contract that you're contracting your professional team on. So... You know, that would, that would set out loads of things. You know, as I say, you know, you'll set out probably the insurance requirements uh, for the contractor, set out any special conditions that they need to consider, LADs I've spoken about, et cetera, et cetera. So quite, quite a few, you know, points there that they need to just be, just be thinking about, really. Um, one, one of the areas that uh, we would also include at an early stage as a developer with We'd be identifying who we wanted to uh, engage for structural warranties, um, exactly, and building in the what level of cooperation or what level of responsibility we want the builder to take. Because ultimately, it's an insurance-backed product, isn't it? At the end it of is. the development, it is. And you know, just as you say, it's very, very important that and a very um, well, well made that point because you know, there's certain things that the employer will procure but we may want to just procure it and hand it over to the main contractor or the principal contractor. 
and he may have an obligation to coordinate and, and get it all sorted out. And if you don't spell that out, guess what? That could be a variation, you know? So it's really important you kind of think through this, what you want this principal contractor to take on board um, so he can consider it as part of his his tendering process. I think um, quite often they one might think, oh, we'll just put in more and more onto them. But from a main contractor, certainly some of the larger ones, the more responsibility they get, you give them, the more sight they've got, the more the, the less dependencies, they're in control of everything. Yeah. Um, and that means you know they can manage internally things a, a whole lot better. Mm. Um, building control is an interesting one as well, isn't it? Which actually sits side by side with the structural warranties. And we've had some interesting experiences of that recently, haven't we? Mm, we, we, we certainly have, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, so it's, um, yeah, so there's a fair bit going into this pack, isn't there? This tender pack. And, and yeah, this is all about locking in your risk, really, you know, to, to make sure, sure everybody that's tendering is on a level playing field. They've all got sight of all the aspects and very, very much, you know, avoiding um, a large variation account at the end of the process, which kind of nobody wants really. So um, the, end, the end outcome, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you mentioned the bank then. Um, uh, top tip for, for anybody, just ask the banks about collateral warranties. Collateral warranties are a step around agreement um, between the, the bank and if the developer fails, they can then engage the services of the, of the builder later down the line. Yeah. can be quite contentious. Um, so... Um, the way to overcome that contentiousness is get a copy of the collateral warranty agreement from the bank and stick it in the tender pack. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of document that if you put that in as a as a could you just after the contract signed, well, you'll get resistance from the main contractor, their insurance company. Life becomes very difficult and costs mm-hmm. go up and time increases. Usually. They do. They do, absolutely. And, you know, some will refuse to sign it. Because they will say, guess what? They will say, well, you never told me I needed to sign it when appraised, you know. So it then become becomes a bit of a, oh, would you mind and can you just, um, opposed to you must because that's what the tender pack said and that's what you priced against kind of approach. So, so yeah, clash of warranties, I think it's, that's, that's a great point, Mark, um, needs to go in. I think when they're, when multiple parties are tendering as well, um, I think to including the packer, a tender pricing summary, um, so that everybody is pricing on the same, in the same way, in the same structure, so that when all these returns come back, you know, four, five, six returns come back, everybody's priced in the same way. So you could almost take out the the pricing summary of each return, lay it on the desk, and you can see on a horizontal uh, axis where people are up, down, and so on and so forth, which enables us to ask a few questions certainly around that, uh, that <laughs> analysis. Yeah, you only make that mistake once, not putting in a tender, a, a tender summary submission, don't you? It's uh, mm-hmm. When you get five different returns in five different formats, some are done on Word, some are done on Excel. Uh, oh, I mean, my word, somebody's yeah. then got a pull through all of that information. So uh, absolutely that's a fantastic tip for anybody listening. Make sure you get the, the right structure in the tender documents 
of how you want the tenders returned to you. Yeah, and it could it could if you so wish be um, be in an Excel format if you so wish. You know, you could ask for a, a paper version, but also an electronic electronic copy, which might help the adjudication process. You know, in terms of analysing and and reflecting on the return. So, um, yeah, really, really important that one for sure. I think also the uh, the tender program um, or a t- let's call it a timetable is really important as well. Mm-hmm. So, be it the first milestone is the tender issue. Any site inspection days that maybe you want to allocate for the tenderers to come along and, and view the site. Uh, there may be mid-bid interviews, you know, so if the, the tender period is of a sufficient length, you might have time to invite them in or be it virtually or physically to ask any questions, any concerns, any misinterpretations or, you know, they, they just don't understand this part of the tender so they can raise questions, et cetera. And it's good. It's a good connection point, I think, the getting to know you stage one, you know, prior to post-tender interviews, you know, you start to feel the people in in terms of, you know, what they're like and that sort of thing. So mid-bids work quite well. Um, Defining very solidly the tender return dates on your program, Um, any post-tender interviews that you intend to do, plug those in as well, and indeed the contract appointment. And that becomes then the tender program. So again, everybody's aligned. Everybody understands the timescale. You know, all the tendering parties need to make sure very clearly that they keep certain days free if they're if they're you know successful to get through to the next stage. Of course. Um, so I think that's that's really a good thing uh, to put in. Um, it's, it's interesting to see the responses that come back from all the the contracting parties, isn't it, during the tendering process. Mm-hmm. You get to find out who's really looking in detail at the spec, at the drawings, because nothing can ever be perfect, can it? Or, or, uh, and everything is open to interpretation if you're not careful. So yes. you, you actually want people to come back, uh, parties to come back with requests for clarification or requests for information. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a, a warmer feeling. If you've got a party who you've heard nothing from since the day mm-hmm. you uh, that you sent out the tender pack, all they've done is confirm that yes, they're going to tender. Um, mm. uh, it's uh, it's a way, as, as you say, of just keeping in contact. But we're in a people business, aren't we? So we need to mm. see just the brand, but who's actually going to deliver the project? Absolutely. And you know, the, if there's let's say there's five people that you've gone out to tender to, and four of them, you know, very consistently come back with a query around a certain point of of how can I do this and, you know, what provision on site is there to do that, you know, very consistently. But as you say, one doesn't remain silent. Well, that's, if that, if that silent one was, were to get through to the next phase, that's quite clearly a line of questioning at the post-ender interview. You could say, well, how have you, uh, how have you interpreted this and how are you going to deal with it? You know, it, it become, this process enables lots of lines of questioning and it's all coming at you from multiple parties. So it's you know, it's a very, very useful process to capture all of those, those questions that are being raised for sure. Mm. Um, I think um, kind of moving on to the health and safety bit, and we're still talking about the pack here. Um, I think the, um, the construction design management regulations, you know, the CDM 2015, um, the pre-construction health and safety file information should be part, part of that tender pack. Um, why? Well, 
for the obvious reasons, but you would include probably within that any as, asbestos surveys that you've done, you know, an R&D survey. So again, the contractor is fully aware of, you know, from a health and safety point of view, things that he needs to be conscious of, you know, going into this, this potential site. You know, if he needs to do asbestos removal, so therefore he needs to add cost into his, his tender process. And any other health and safety matters, you know, that the contra- contractor needs to be aware of. You know, there could be all sorts of things. There could be contamination. There could be, you know, a hole in the ground or something like this. This should go into that into that health and safety file to to fully inform, you know, that party that potentially is going to grab the keys to the site and, and get on with the project. Um, and it's our obligation to do so anyway. So to advise them. So I, I guess we've got to the tender returns point, haven't we, Mark? You know. Um, I mean, hopefully you've had a good response. I, I would all, always urge people to, you know, spread it fairly wide um, in terms of quantum of tendering parties. Um, don't go too wide um, because the market, when you're when you're when you're spreading too wide, the market is very small, <laughs> and that you know all parties will find out one way or the other through supply chain through whatever mechanism they'll find out how many people, roughly speaking, on the tender list. And if you've gone out to 20 people, they'll they'll think, well, I haven't got a chance to, to get this. So I'm not going to expend all this effort, this time. And it's very tendering is very expensive to a contractor in terms of time, isn't it? And you could find that parties start to drop off the tender list. They'll make all sorts of excuses and be very apologetic and sympathetic, but they'll kind of just pull out. So you don't really want that. So, you know, we tend to go to, depending on the size, but, you know, five or six parties, let's say, will go out to that sort of quantum, um, expecting that there will be a, a bit of attrition. So maybe, you know, the tenders will go out, maybe one will have a look at the detail and pull out, so you're down to kind of five. Um, you'll probably get halfway through the process and another one will drop out, so you're down to four, you know, and then you've got a little bit of contingency because what you need is a minimum of three. You need a minimum of three because... If you're down to two prices, what's right and what's wrong? You can't. It's very difficult to to gauge where you're actually sitting. If you've got three prices, you tend to get grouping. So you'll have, you know, I don't know, one at a million, one at one point two, one point one at one point two five. So you know that the kind of the grouping is is at that upper level. If you've only got two prices, it's very difficult to know which is right and which is wrong kind of thing. So it becomes very difficult. But um, nonetheless, you know, you do that. And then, you know, thinking about the tender pack, we've defined very clearly what the tender, the the return date is. So through that letterbox at 12 o'clock on Friday. Um, And then you have to define amongst your professional team a tender opening process. Uh, be it that formal or be it that informal, you know, you've got to define the process. And w- we tend to sit around the table, you know, the architect, the QS, the PM, sit around the table and we just open them up. Um, they'll have a quick look through, um, kind of give us the headlines, that sort of thing. And then we allow the professional team to then get into the detail of the of the returns. They will... As I say, they'll give us some initial feedback on the numbers um, so we can get a view of where we're sitting, you know, within our budgets. Um, but the, as I say, the QSs and the, um, you know, the professional teams will be going through line by line, 
and they'll do a leveling process. So they'll basically be, you know, looking at all the tenders all lined up on a horizontal basis, be looking at where the prices are higher than the next one and lower than the next one. And they'll be just doing those, those leveling flows and, and asking quite a few questions to the tendering parties. You know, could you explain, you know, you're a little bit compared with others, you're very high on this item. Could you explain why? You know, these sorts of questions and, and just see what, what response uh, we get back. Tend to, around this sort of time, um, start to consider a shortlisting process. So if you've got five returns, we might shortlist it down to, let's say, three, uh, just through the natural process of pricing. Um, and then we'll invite those three, let's say, to a post-tender interview. And But before we do that, okay, and sorry, before the post-tender interview, we'll ask them to consider some value engineering around their, around their bid. And what is value engineering? Well, it's basically what, what we don't want to do is necessarily reduce quality. But, you know, you imagine these contractors. These contractors have been in the industry for many years and on multiple projects all over the place. And they're seeing value engineering coming in from different angles. And they may, they may have come across, let's say, a, you know, a plug socket, you know, a double plug socket there. And, you know, we've specced an MK2747 WHI or whatever it is, but they, they probably will say, well, look, that's top of the range. So that's, that's £10 a socket. But if you go for this socket and you, you put them side by side and they look absolutely identical, CE kites, you know, British standard, still, well, they have to be British standard, but it's half the price. So that is value engineering where they can offer an alternative and in that particular item, reduce you know fifty percent of the cost. So, so the VE, we asked them to do that prior to coming to the post tender interview. So, they'll come to the they come to the interview. Um, we'll allow them to present their company to us. Okay, um, we'll um, we'll we'll kind of go through the bids. We'll 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 be interested to hear how they intend to to run the project, the methodology of construction. So they can talk through, generally, generally they'll have the site manager there or the project manager there to talk through this process. And, you know, and we'll, we'll then kind of move on to the, um, the value engineering part and just let them present their proposals to us, you know, which is useful. Um, we'll, uh, we'll then ask them to kind of go away and, of the value engineering options that have been presented, and bear in mind we're getting three sets. If we're inviting three parties to ten, uh, to interview, we're getting three sets of value engineering here. And if you so wish, you could combine them all into one big list. You could send them out to all three parties and say, "Can you please consider these? You know, of all of these, we would like to select items one, ten, twenty, and twenty-five. And can you please incorporate that into your tender?" So, so there's a revised process in the downward position. So, um, so then we're in receipt of final final pricing with uh, with value engineering. Uh, we may or may not go for final interviews. Um, generally, generally it's a process. This isn't it, but generally we'll then ask for best and final offers, and you're into that kind of nitty gritty of negotiation at this point, and then we'll finally select. Um, 
you know, but, but I think in, in every event, never forget, you know, to write to the unsuccessful parties and just really thank them for their participation in the process. Because that way, I think you, you know, you know, they'll be waiting for the next opportunity. You know, if they hear nothing from you and, you know, in six months time, you come up with another opportunity, they're going to think twice. And I think it's important to keep people you know, on your side and ready to go again uh, on the next opportunity. I think that's, uh, you know, it lays it out in a process and having a QS, having your architect there, you know, managing that process for you. Um, is is so important, but that what you've just explained there, Nigel, really lucidly, is, is it's identifying risk, it's managing risk, it's understanding the perception of risk from other parties, um, and creating great value at the end of the day. Let's go back, you know, fifteen minutes when you're explaining this. What do we want? We don't want the lowest bid. We want a compliant bid, which represents as close as we possibly can to the final account. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And as if we change our mind along the way, we, we're going to get get, uh, get caught for variations. But um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. also forget the variations can go up as well as down, but it's a lot easier to um, to make yeah. sure you get certainty right at the tender stage. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, have you heard the phrase, Mark, you make the money as you're going into a deal? <laughs> absolutely right you know and you, you think about the build package you know it's notwithstanding obviously the purchase price you know in, that can be a lot more but the build package is probably the biggest cost you're going to incur within your entire development so if you can you know follow a due process a re- very respectful process um you know, best and final offers is just a commercial decision to the recipients. They they can, you know, say, no, we've, we've put our best offer in, thank you very much. Or they can say, well, you know, I think we can do something commercially here because we really want the job. But that's their decision. Um, the the quality has not changed in one way. Um, you know, you've defined and, and selected the value engineering process, you know, what goes in and what doesn't go in. Um, you know all these sort of things, so you, you've ended up with the, with the the product that you want at you know financially the best best price to support your development, and you know one percent here or there makes a big old difference, doesn't it? You know certainly the numbers that uh, you can be talking about around the, that bill contract, so I think it's really important. And of course, you know any uncertainty of variations and you know potential cost increase, got to work out how you're going to fund that as well. Will the banks fund it? Um, and maybe that's a subject for for our, our next podcast, uh, which will be on on the different types of procurement process. I think next mm-hmm. week we're talking about design and build, and there's this traditional procurement, um, yeah. Yeah, and the the, the different um, types of uh, professional team or, or contracting you might require there. Mm-hmm. Um, in- incredibly important, and this is the type of thing we we cover in our equipmentship program. You know, yeah. every month we have our meetings um, with uh, our individual mentees, um, just allowing them to, to to unfurl their natural talents and, and grow their property development business, but growing it with certainty. So if that's yeah. something you're interested in, Equimentorship, and we're currently running our 13-week program as well, then I've put a link um, in the chat box for those of you who are listening live or if you go to Equa Academy, E-Q-U-A Academy, 
www.co.uk, you can book a complimentary call personally with myself um, to check out if uh, equimentorship is right for you. And we really enjoy those sessions. It's it's amazing what some of our mentees are achieving. And we've got one of our mentees putting out a £4 million bill package out to tender at the moment. It was substantial packages. Um, Now, that's not the size that everybody will be tendering, whether you're tendering for, you know, a few hundred thousand pound um, bill package or a few million pounds. You're still going to need to follow pretty much exactly the same process and have access to a great professional team to guide you along the way. Absolutely. You know, and... You know what we what we tend to chat around during this uh, our breakfast webinars, and um, you know, as part of the podcast. And you know, it can sound quite overwhelming, Mark, can't it? You know, but I think all all we're trying to do really is just reinforce that you know anybody and everybody can do this. It's just making sure that you've got the right people around you. You know, the methodology that we've talked about over the last. 40 minutes is a methodology that's been defined by our professional parties and ground into you know methodology over the last tens of years and you know it's a very successful approach to de-risking um so you know what we what we like to share is kind of the snippets just to get an understanding but you know fear not your professional team will be driving this process to get you to the place of you know where we need to get to in terms of contract, contract placement, contract award, and and indeed contract administration thereafter during the the course of the contract. So, so yeah, there's, there's certainly nothing to be overwhelmed by in terms of you know what we've been through today, um, because it, you know your professional team have got your back for sure. You know with this process. Over the last thirty years, Nigel, I mean we've been involved client side, we've been developer. We've been the main contractor, we've been subcontractors, we've been all elements of the supply chain to one extent or another. Yeah. Um, so we've had quite a privileged insight at all the all the tips and tricks and savoury, and in some cases we've seen unsavoury practices there. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as you said earlier on, we've seen very successful outcomes at the end, and we've also seen unsuccessful outcomes where where things have got, you know, got litigious, um, where, mm. you know, contracts have had to be, you know, pulled out of the desk and uh, and that's gone to, you know, arbitration or um, you know, another form of alternative dispute resolution. Um, and none of us want that. That puts a tremendous drain on any business and personally it's mm. quite over, overwhelming. So what we've mm. talked about today is, is mm. the devil of the detail and you're absolutely right. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. Sometimes it's a lot easier to listen to a podcast that's got the three or the five very simple steps you need to follow. Mm. But look, we're we're not necessarily about just entertainment. This is about actually real-life information that is going to keep you safe. Um, There is no three-step simple system in anything in life. It might be a three-step summary, um, but the devil's in the detail, and that's that's what we help our mentees through. Mm-hmm. Another great session, Nigel, the power of, of procurement and, and having those, you know, certain outcomes or as certain as we, we can, assured outcomes um, is incredible. So we're almost at the end of, of this uh, this week's episode. So next week, we're going to be talking about different types of procurement. We've got the design and build process, the traditional procurement process, 
Um, so it's a natural follow-on from from this session on on procurement. So another great session. If you are interested in having a chat with us, find out what we do. Go to equaacademy.co.uk and click on the links there. Book a call with us, and uh, hopefully we'll see you as one of our mentees very soon. So another busy week ahead, Nigel. More deals in the pipeline, and that's what we like, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Keep them coming, I say. And it's a great time to get immersed. You know, things are really opening up in the market. Um, we obviously know what happened, you know, last year, and, and we're still in it to a degree, but um, that's making stock readily available, which is great. So, I, I you know, uh, over the last six years that we've been in it, I think this is the best time to to actually immerse yourself and, um, you know, find something that can change your and your family's lives, really. So it's um, looking forward to this year. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Nigel. It's been another fantastic uh, podcast episode. So don't forget to uh, go to equoacademy.co.uk and have a fantastic week and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.